Earlier this summer, we visited our family in Virginia, and we got to spend some time with my nephew, Aiden. My nephew, Aiden, is one and a half years old, and he's very active. Everyone has to remain on their toes around Aiden because he doesn't so much crawl or walk, he runs. And he runs, usually, toward danger. If you're out in a nice park, if there's a trafficy intersection nearby, he's running towards it. If you're in the home and there's a television that's not mounted to the wall but on a tabletop, he's shaking it. Have you left a sharp knife on the countertop when you're cooking? He's reaching for it with his one-and-a-half-year-old paws. We took him to the 4th of July fireworks outside of Lynchburg, Virginia, and there was a large sloping lawn that went ahead of us, and on the other side of the lawn, the fireworks were being launched. And Aiden was, you know, impatiently, like the rest of us, waiting for the fireworks to begin. But finally, when those explosions started lighting up the sky, he ran towards them, trying to catch them out of the air. He was not so much running towards danger, but stumbling, because he's one and a half. Especially when he wakes up from a nap, he's very wobbly. I used to joke with uh, his parents, what did you put in that juice box? Because he's always kind of wobbling around. (laughs) Stumbling towards disaster. I was thinking about Aiden as I was looking out at the landscape of our society, the world around us, and I thought that might be a good description of all of us. As a society, we are stumbling towards disaster because there's something in the human heart that is drawn to things that are bad for us. Like a one and a half year old chasing danger, there's something in the human heart that's chasing after or running towards things that are going to harm us. We're stumbling towards disaster. Our scripture today paints a picture of that a little bit, but importantly teaches us also how not to get burned. When we are chasing after our ungodly passions, today's scripture gives us a warning of how not to get burned. So let's look at the scripture together. If you've put your Bible away, you can take it back out. We'll be looking at these verses together. This is the book of Jude. It's the second to the last book of the Bible. For the next few Sundays here at Stanwich, we're going to be in the book of Revelation uh, for four Sundays. And then in September, we start again at the beginning of our three-year chronological study of the Bible. So in September 5, we'll be at Genesis chapter 1. But today we're in Jude and then Revelation to finish out the whole study of the Bible. So let's look at this uh, description of humanity stumbling towards disaster and how not to get burned. Jude, beginning with the 17th verse. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Following their own ungodly passions. There's a lot in this phrase for us to pull apart. Following their own ungodly passions. You see, here's the thing. Toddlers chase after things that are going to be destructive for them. But toddlers grow up, at least in body. Sometimes people grow up in body, but they remain emotional or spiritual toddlers. Like my nephew Aiden. Maybe there's adults chasing after things that are going to burn them. Chasing after things that are going to harm them. Jude is warning us that in the last times, in the last days of 
humanity, we're going to see a lot of these people chasing after, following after their own. But it's not just Jude near the end of the Bible who warns us about this. The prophet Isaiah, you might recall the Isaiah scripture in Isaiah 53 verse 6 where he says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, following their own ungodly passions, their own. It's an interesting description, following our own ungodly passions. We're going to see the solution to this type of thing in just a few verses, or actually in the next verse. But I want to point something out that the uh, scripture writer Jude is going to uh, lead us towards. Why do people grow up in body but remain spiritual or emotional toddlers? Why do people chase after their passions even if they're not the ultimate thing that's going to satisfy them? What we're going to see in Jude's description is that it's an identity problem at its core. It's an identity problem. In our society, in human history, there tends to be an identity formation vacuum. We're going to learn here what our true identity is, but when we have a lack of identity formation, we will fill that vacuum with our passions. Let me give you a couple examples. When someone says they are passionate about the New York Yankees, for example, if that is the only identity formation they have in their lives, they will wrap themselves in the Yankees flag, and they will be a Yankees fan from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed. It will become their identity, see? Their passion becomes their identity. Or a person who is passionate about, say, the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. If there's no other identity formation, if there's an identity vacuum in their lives, they will fill their political alliance into that vacuum, and that will become their core identity. They will wrap themselves in the flag of the political party of their choosing. Or I am passionate about the Minnesota Vikings. I am passionate about LGBTQ rights. I am passionate about this cause or that cause. If we lack the core identity that God gives us, we will wrap ourselves in these flags. Jude leads us towards this understanding in the next verse, in verse 19. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. You see what happens when we're all chasing after our passions and wrapping ourselves in those identities. Jude says that's going to cause division. And in the Greek language here that he wrote this in, a better translation would have been make distinctions, cause divisions or make distinctions. When you're a Yankees fan and I'm a Vikings fan and that becomes our core identity, we're going to have division among us. When your core identity is as a Republican or a Democrat, we're going to have divisions among us. And we become very bifurcated and very tribalistic as a society if we wrap ourselves in the flags defined by our passions. See, it's a natural outcome. We're going to be divided. This is a pretty good description of our nation right now. People chased after their own passions, made that their core identities, and now we're divided. So what's the solution? Do we as Christians just wrap ourselves in the Christian flag and make our own tribe? No. It's not what it says here in verse 20. It reminds us of who we are, our true identity. See, Jude describes this divisive landscape in which everyone has chased after their own ungodly passions. But in verse 20, he says, But you, beloved, 
But you, beloved. This is an identity statement. But you, beloved. Our belovedness is our core identity. Are you loved by God? That's enough. We can form our identities around our belovedness. Verse 21. Uh, Actually, continuing in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Wrap yourselves, not in the flag of some identity based on your passion, but wrap yourself, keep yourself in your belovedness. When we do that, when you and I have a shared, common identity in our belovedness, how much God loves us, now we are united, see? We're not divided by sports affiliations or by political alliances. We are united in our belovedness. That is our core identity, that we are loved. Young Aiden, the one-and-a-half-year-old I told you about, he's not defined by his passions that he's running after. He's not defined by his mistakes. He's not defined by the fact that he's chasing after things that are bad for him. When I watch Aiden's father, my brother-in-law, John, I see a picture of the love of God. Aiden is so loved by his father all day, every day. He's chasing after things. It's exhausting being around Aiden. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's so tiring being around this kid. I love him, but wow. But I look at his father, my brother-in-law, John, and I just see John all day, you know, 20 times before breakfast, John has just lovingly stopped Aiden from harm. He's got so much patience. I look at John and I think, he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. (laughs) Because he just stops him, he corrects him, he doesn't shame him, he doesn't put guilt messages on him, he just redirects his energy away from danger. Why does John do that to his son, Aiden? Because he loves him. And our God loves us. It's our belovedness, not the passions that we chase after that define us. It's our belovedness. Thank God that that is what God offers to us as our core identity. I love that song that we sometimes sing here. It's an identity reminder song where we say, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. I love that song. That's it. That's enough. That's our identity. We have a good, good father. That's who he is. We are loved by him. That's who we are. Like a one and a half year old and a loving father. That's the most important thing going in our lives is our belovedness. We're living in a society where everybody is celebrating, seemingly, the things that people are chasing after, the passions of their hearts, the identity formation they are forming by wrapping themselves in the flags. You have to celebrate. Oh, that's very good. Good for you. But there's a better identity that's being offered to us in the love of God. Again, in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Waiting for the mercy. 
Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy. You see, as Christians, we are people who are going from mercy to mercy. That's our story. We received mercy. We received grace upon the cross when Jesus died in our place, paying the penalty of our sins. That happened previously to us on the timeline of history. And we are waiting in the future for him to come again to give us more mercy. Well, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and heal every wound and finish all the wars that are being raged between humanity and each other. And he, we go from mercy to mercy. We are waiting for the mercy. And it's not just for us to keep for ourselves. Look what we have an assignment also of those around, for those around us who are chasing after their own ungodly passions. Verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. We live in this society where people are chasing after their own ungodly passions and then celebrating that like it's a good thing. Wouldn't it be unloving for John, my brother-in-law, to look at his one-and-a-half-year-old son chasing after fireworks or running into traffic or reaching for a kitchen knife and saying, yes, buddy, you chase after those passions. Wouldn't that be an unloving thing to do? Yet in our society, we're being told that it's, it's merciful to celebrate what people are chasing after. These ungodly passions, these identity formations that are not the belovedness of God, we're told we're supposed to celebrate them, whatever they choose. You hear these phrases, speak your truth. I'll speak my truth. You speak your truth. I self-identify as. You self-identify as. We're all supposed to applaud that. But the Bible is showing us here that that would be a quite unmerciful thing to do if those people are chasing after an ungodly passion. It would be like watching a one-and-a-half-year-old chase after fireworks getting burned. Jude here says, show mercy, save others by snatching them out of the fire. It's a merciful thing to do to stop somebody from following their ungodly passions and to remind them of the love of God. And to be clear, what Jude is talking about here when he says snatch them out of the fire, he's talking about something far worse than burning your hand on a firework. He's talking about the fires of hell. That some people, adult toddlers, are running towards, stumbling towards disaster. Judas saying the fires of hell are real and hell is an eternal separation from the love of God. It's a terrible place. It's a real place. It's a terrible place. And some of us are running towards it because we're following our own ungodly passions. Some of us have people in our lives who are doing that or um, whole populations or, or geographic regions where we sense, we get the, the, the census data that people are no longer living in their belovedness. They're no longer going to church. They're no longer hearing the gospel. They're no longer resting in the love of their heavenly Father. And so it's our job, according to Jude, to show mercy to those people and to share with them the love of God, to share with them the gospel, not to say, go ahead, run off into the danger. That would be an unmerciful thing to do. This is why we're in Stanford with our Stanford location, so that we can share the love of God, that there is a good Father, and we are loved by Him. This is why we have a pastor of evangelism in Pastor David who teaches us, who reminds us how to share the mercy and the love of God with those who don't know. It's our responsibility. 
not to judge them, not to form our own tribe, but to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 24, Jude begins reflecting on the love of God that saves us from our own ungodly passions. And he starts reflecting on what Jesus has done to afford us that love. And he breaks into worship. He breaks into doxology. Verse 24, Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Like, John stopping Aiden from another danger. To him who was able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. We have to slow down on that phrase. To present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. There's this truth in the New Testament. This promise in the New Testament of what part of Jesus' mission is. Part of Jesus' mission is to present all of us, the church, like one would present a bride at the altar table. At the altar. One day, Jesus will present us, his bride, before the Father, before the throne. And the promise of Scripture is that he will present us as a perfect bride, without blemish, without sin, without stain. Now, how in the world is he going to do that? Because when I look around at the church, I see a bunch of grown-up toddlers chasing after their own passions, their ungodly passions. Well, Jesus has a plan for that, of how he will remove the blame, how he will remove the fault. And in order to describe this, I want to show you a picture. I want to tell you a story. A few Sundays ago, it was the European soccer finals. Maybe you saw it. Italy versus England. Did anybody watch that game? Well over 100 million people watched the game. We think the Super Bowl is a big deal, but in Europe, soccer is a really big deal. And it was England versus Italy, and it was a tie game at the end of regulation. And um, it went to the shootouts. Each team got a number of chances to shoot you know, a penalty kick into the goal. And it was basically down to one kick. And a young man on the English squad, whose name was Bakayu Saka, you can put the picture up, Max, he went to kick the penalty shot for the nation of England. And to say that the nation of England was interested in the success or failure of this (laughs) kick would be a dramatic understatement. Basically, if this 19-year-old missed the shot, the game was over. And so the coach, Garrett Southgate, put him out there, and he kicked this kick. And I don't want you to show the next picture yet, Max. Just hold it on this picture, okay? Some of you watched the match know what happened. He missed. He failed. He missed the mark. He stumbled, as all of us do in life. And the letdown in the stadium was dramatic. I can't imagine being 19 years old in all of Wembley Stadium and all 100 million sets of eyeballs watching you through their television screens have just watched you fail. This is a picture of all of us because of sin. We've all fallen short. 
And there's a moment in this kid's life where he, I bet he wondered in that moment, will this define me? Will this be my identity? And he began walking over towards the sideline. And his coach met him halfway on the field. Max, you can show that picture now. This is Coach Southgate. Did you hear what Jude said a moment ago in this scripture? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Coach Southgate brought him in for this beautiful hug. And this is a picture of our loving father. When we make mistakes, when we chase after our own ungodly passions. You know what this picture illustrates for us is the beauty of the gospel. That we are not defined by our ungodly passions. But we are defined by God's passion for us. We are not defined by our ungodly passions or our mistakes or our failures. We are defined by God's passion for us, by God's love for us. Now here's the amazing thing what Coach Southgate did that speaks to this point of how Jesus will one day present us blameless before the Father. Coach Southgate at the press conference after the game was being asked about this moment. What do you think, Coach, about the fact that your player failed? He missed, he stumbled. Here's what Coach Southgate did. I don't know if any of you saw the press conference. He said, no, you know, you know what? That was a coaching mistake. I put the wrong guy in. He was too young. I had more experienced penalty kickers I should have put in his place. I take the blame. I take the fault. Don't blame him. You see what Coach Southgate did is he removed the blame from this young 19-year-old. And that's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's how he will present us blameless before the Father because Jesus took our sin, all of our stumblings, all of our mistakes, all of our following our own ungodly passions, and instead of allowing us to chase them all the way into the fires of hell, he came in and he said, I will take the fires of hell for you. I will take the punishment. I will take the condemnation of all the sins of the whole world, all the failures. And he took those upon himself on the cross and he died in our place, removing the fault, removing the blame so that we could be presented as a perfect bride. That's what he's done for us. We can't help but praise him. That's our response, really. That's the appropriate response. Verse 24. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. When we realize what he's done for us, we just want to break into praise when we recognize by the Holy Spirit's conviction the ungodly passions that we have chased after, like a toddler, when we realize by the Holy, Spirit convictions, Holy Spirit's conviction that sometimes the ungodly passions we've chased after, we've wanted to wrap ourselves in those flags, forming a false identity with them. When the Holy Spirit convicts us and we realize we have failed, we have missed the mark, like a soccer player missing the goal, we've missed the mark in our lives, we fall into the love of God. We fall into the loving embrace of our good, good Father, and we know that we are loved by Him.
so we praise. Unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.